All right, we are here with Jason Romano of the Sports Spectrum podcast, uh, which for those of you that don't know uh, the Sports Spectrum, um, I am lucky enough to have loose affiliation with these guys. So uh, a group called Professional Athletes Outreach acquired Sports Spectrum. Sports Spectrum uh, was a, a faith-based sports publication magazine for a long time, right? And and they told the stories of, of athletes and their testimonies, uh, but it was for a long time just a print, right? You, you get it in the mail and it was a magazine. Well, uh, Professional Athletes Outreach acquired Sports Spectrum and Jason Romano, and, and I'm going to let him tell the story, but they have taken this platform and done incredible things with it. And, and Jason's background and his influence and, and his ability to take this media outlet and use it for something so big and so awesome is just really fun to watch. So Jason's joining us from Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, did not end up leaving the East Coast uh, after, leaving, after leaving ESPN. Eight six zero oh six zero one zero. Lots of O's. But Jason, so hey, good to be with you guys, Jason, man. This is on. awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So uh, you you and Darren worked together for a long time, but we want to go back before that. We want to talk okay. talk to Jason. Uh, growing up, what the family dynamic was, uh, you know, what faith was to you early on, what that looked like, and then how you kind of graduated into you know the media side and, and working with ESPN. So so take us back. Uh, let our listeners get to know you from the start. Yeah, so I was just a kid who uh, loved sports. I grew up in uh, Albany, New York, a little town. Uh, about 12 miles south of the capital of New York State uh, called Ravina and uh, broken home at an early age. My parents divorced when I was six years old and uh, dad wasn't around much. Uh, and I've heard, you know, some stories. I know, Darren, you grew up without a dad. And I my dad was around, but he wasn't present in, in my life. Um, and that had an effect on, on me and my brother, certainly growing up. But my mom was the rock and uh, and allowed us to kind of have as normal of a life as you can have when you're a kid in a situation like that. But as far as faith goes, you know, I, I did the good, the good Catholic boy things that you're supposed to do as a kid. I, I, uh, I got baptized as a baby. I made my first communion. Uh, I did the uh, confirmation that you do in the Catholic church when you're 14 or so. And I then never really went to church ever again after that for a very long time. Uh, so my faith, honestly, my God for many, many years uh, was was sports. <laughs> and just being honest here, I think for me, it was playing certainly as a kid. You know, you have, every kid has aspirations to be a professional athlete. But I realized pretty quickly in my high school years that that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so why not do the next best thing? And that's maybe maybe talk about sports or work in sports. And so that's when I had my mind set on going into broadcasting and certainly working for a place like ESPN, I tell people, you know, my dream job wasn't ESPN. It was just to be on the local channel 13 News in Albany, New York, doing the sports because ESPN seems so far away from You're doing a sports in front of the camera or behind the scenes. I think initially in front of the camera, Darren, like I would have liked to be the anchor who is doing the you know, doing the, the local three-minute sports cast. And then uh, when I got to college, that's what I really aspired to do was to be, uh, you know, the host of the show, but also learning how producing worked. Um, I realized when I got into my first job out of college in local radio up in Albany that uh, there were some guys there that had been in, in radio for 30 years, and uh, I wasn't going to be taking their job anytime soon. So 
I, do, I wanted to just get in the business any way possible. And for me, that meant learning how to be a, a great producer, a good producer. And so that's where I saw um, God kind of leading me towards and my gifts and talents were really focused on being behind the scenes. Uh, the last thing I ever thought after I spent 20 years behind the scenes is that I would be back hosting a show or anything yeah. like that in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. But that's really where I cut my teeth locally. And then in 2000, 20 years ago, uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to come to ESPN and got my start there. So, okay. So talk us through, through high school and, and having a, you know, a single mother and, and, and what it, that was like, right? Where that drive came from you, because I think anybody that ever comes in contact with you or is on your show realizes, right? There's, there's a level of passion that is unrivaled for what you do, whether that's a podcast, whether that's production, whether that's building a media brand, whatever that is that you're doing, there's something, and there's something there that, was it because maybe the, the lack of your father being around? Was it, I mean, what do you think that was early on? I think the passion for, for certainly for sports came from my grandfather, who was the father figure in my life and, um, and was always there. Took us to all of our games as kids, came to all of our sporting events. Um, whenever we wanted to watch a sporting event with someone, it was usually him. And the times that my dad was in my life, I mean, that's probably the only uh, blessing within the curse of all that he was going through growing up was that my dad loves sports. In fact, to this day, it's still the, really the only thing that we talk about when we have our conversations together is sports, where I'm trying to kind of get away from it a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. That's all he wants to talk about. Um, but when I was younger, that's where that passion came from. And I think, you know, there was a drive and desire, I think, at a young age, especially when I went to college, where I realized I was on my own and kind of trying to find myself as a, as a, you know, 18 year old, 19 year old kid that I can do this, you know, and I could figure this out. I really didn't have any, any leg up. I certainly didn't have uh, anybody in my life who was in the broadcasting industry or could show me the way. Um, so the passion and the desire was really just on my own to kind of pursue something that I really, really loved. And I tell people all the time today, if you want to get in, well, whether it's this business or any business, man, find what you're good at and find what you love it intersect those two. That's the sweet spot, as I like to say. Yeah. If you can find that sweet spot, man, you're headed to the right place. And fortunately for me, because I know a lot of people don't get to find that sweet spot too often on their journeys, but fortunately for me, I was able to do that. Yes. It, it, go ahead. Well, I'll just say, you know, it's interesting. You, you talked about, you mentioned a second ago, your dad's love for sports. How much of your love and your passion for it came from I'm not a psychologist, obviously, but was there any longing for, for that love and for that affection from him through sports? What, what was that, that sort of relationship like? Yeah, I mean, especially when I was younger, that was where we found our connection. Um, when my dad was, my dad's an alcoholic. He's been sober now for a while, but in the midst of when he was really struggling, um, the sports connection was what I tell people it's what was supposed to bring us together is what tore us apart because there was, uh, you know, a game on Sunday. My dad, by the way, roots for every team pretty much that I root against. He's a Giants fan. And I was a Cowboys fan. So even just in the midst of watching games together where it's just a father and son experience, you know, with the alcohol and his system and with me just being a obnoxious kid, um, I'm, you know, we're talking smack to each other and it just leads to a really unhealthy uh, relationship. It's not the good kind of smack, if you will. And, and um, I yearned for, for, for him and I to have connection, certainly, and for those moments as a kid. But as I grew up and got older into my 20s, into my 30s, uh, I kind of had to just move on. 
like my dad was still struggling and doing his thing and I was just trying to grow up and get yeah. a job in the business and eventually get married and have a daughter and just go on with life. So when did you forgive? I mean, listen, I've been there. I'm a father the same, in, in the same mentality as far as not being there. And there was a lot of resentment. I held on to that resentment for a long time. Yeah. When did you, how old were you when you forgave? I was almost 40 years old. It took a long time, Darren. It's, it's one of those things where my, you asked about my faith earlier, Tyler. When I was 27 is when I gave my life to the Lord and really started a journey of faith and understanding, you know, what, uh, what that meant, you know, who Jesus was and, and beginning to find, I guess, my purpose, my true purpose in life was to live for him. But, and, and the whole foundation of Christianity and faith for me was forgiveness, and yet for 13 years in that walk, in that journey of faith, I still couldn't forgive my father. Uh, and I think it's partially, Darren, because I, I didn't really have empathy for him. I didn't see anything from his perspective. I just saw the pain that he had caused me. And so my initial reaction was, well, I'm going to cause that same pain to you. And I'm going to inflict that back on you, whether it's verbally or just not talking to you. Uh, whatever it was, I had a lot of bitterness inside of me. And it wasn't until he hit his lowest moment seven years ago in 2013, uh, where he tried to end his life mm -hmm. and was not successful, thankfully. But it was a really low moment for him. But it was a really challenging moment for me to understand about what forgiveness was about. And that was the moment where, as I like to say, Darren, I, I, I began the process of forgiveness. It's yeah. never an instantaneous thing. I mean, still seven years later, and I'm still working through forgiving him every day, but at least I began that process of moving forward instead of hanging on to a lot of bitterness. That's awesome. So let's go, let's, let's start with this. Okay. Because I, you know, you say you mentioned that at 27 years old yeah, is when you basically, you turned your life around, you, 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 you got, you got saved and, and you started following Jesus. Give us, tell us, tell me where you were before that. I mean, who was Jason Romano leading up to that time up till you're 27 years old? So I was a, I th I'd like to classify myself from a worldly perspective as a good guy, I think, you know, um, who, who tried to stay out of trouble. I wasn't caught up in like addictions or drugs or alcohol. I never really drank because of my father. Um, I just had a mindset that was so focused on worldly success. Um, you know, the American dream, getting married, having kids, you know, getting a house, certainly working at a place like ESPN and you're, you're moving up the corporate ladder and achievement. And that's where I found my purpose. And so it wasn't anything bad. You know, initially I watched my brother, Chris, who is a pastor now and, and an amazing father and husband, but he was caught up in that really sort of bad life, right? The sin and the, and the, and the things that he shouldn't be doing. Like I saw his life kind of spiraling downward and Christ kind of came in and he did a 180 and turned it around. So there was there was that aspect of it that I saw and I was really intrigued, but I was like, well, I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I got this job yeah. at ESPN and I just got married and all that's going on. And so from a, from a perspective of the world, you wouldn't have said, well, this guy needs Jesus because he's a mess. Yeah. So I think I was in an okay place, but you know, I look at it now and I was in a very empty place because I, I didn't have a true purpose. Um, and it really came down to just understanding um, at least at that moment when I first said yes to begin this journey with the Lord was, it's not about me. There's a great book. You've probably read it. Some of you guys, maybe The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. It's a very famous book. It's, it's sold millions and millions of copies. But the very first line in the book 
it says, we're going to start off with this. It's not about you. And, you know, I've heard you guys podcasts and many of you guys tell your stories and, and certainly wor working and talking to many other athletes. This is a big issue with a lot of athletes is that identity, that purpose, and they feel like everything revolves around them and their world and, and climbing that achievement world that they're trying to accomplish. And I was kind of caught up in that on a much smaller level in trying to do that at ESPN. And even after I began my faith journey, I still struggled for many, many years uh, with trying to climb the corporate ladder, with trying to get the next status or title or opportunity, uh, which you, you were probably seeing, Darren, maybe in some of the times that we worked together and trying to get different opportunities to work on NFL shows and, and other things like that. And I got so caught up in it that I forgot my real value and my real purpose wasn't defined by saying that I worked at ESPN. Mm, no, I love that. And describe that just that feeling, right? And and when people people ask me about my faith journey and, and, and what's going on with that, and they're like, well, why? I mean, you, you have what you want. I mean, the, the people that just don't get it. And the way I describe it is, is, I mean, imagine just taking the weight of the world off your shoulders when you have the perspective of, oh, it's up to me to progress in my job. It's up to me to provide. It's up to me, to make an impact. It's like you said, it's not about you. So describe the feeling, right, of walking around and the pressure that you felt pre 27 year old Jason Romano to now you're walking in your faith. Yeah, I think it was, there was a lot of pressure to, <laughs> this is biblical words I'm going to read to you here from scripture, but it, to conforming to the patterns of this world. There's a scripture verse in Romans that talks about that. And I think I was so focused. I, I honestly didn't even realize it was taking place because you're just kind of living and doing your thing. And you don't, you know, if faith's not an impar a part of your life, you just kind of accept whatever the world accepts, right? And I think what happened was there was a feeling that, that started to take place inside of me where I understood that, um, that if this is all that this world has to offer is just kind of achievement and trying to be good enough, like when is, there, when is that enough? So when is being good good enough? And who defines what good is, right? Who defines what uh, success is? You know, what's true success? Well, I could say that I played – uh, or worked at ESPN for 17 years. And you could say, Darren, that you won three Super Bowls. And Tyler, you could say that, you know, you played in the NFL. And Ben, you could say that you have this amazing job and working with these guys. Like, we can all say that. And it sounds like success. But what is true success? That's actually why I wrote the new book I wrote, because I believe true success is not defined by what you do, but the impact that you have and by who you were created to be. And so that's really the feeling and the best way to describe it as it became less about me and more about others. Now you said, okay, hey, it didn't change overnight, right? Like I think a lot of people no. think that, that there's this fairy tale, fairy tale of like the the your your fairy godmother just comes down and hits you on the head, and now you're you've got this beautiful gown and carriage and all this stuff. It doesn't change instantly, right? And it's still a process. But I will say, when you took that step, and you were prior, you're so focused on performing, 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 right, and proving your worth, and proving your identity and purpose and all that. How much more were you able to actually do when, okay, hey, that pressure is off. Now let's just, I'm going to align myself with my purpose and what I feel like I'm supposed to be here, the freedom to allow you to do your job at a much, to me, higher level. I had a, a struggle with that early on. So, you know, there's a lot of people who, when they come to faith, 
Uh, it's like, uh, you know, like my, bro my brother, it was a 180, you see an instant change. For me, this was a process that still continues to today. And so for the first seven or eight years of my time at ESPN, I still didn't quite get that or grasp the idea that, um, you know, that there, there was a greater purpose, you know, basically on my life, you know, a call on my life. And I remember in 2008, and I was working as a talent booker, a talent producer, uh, and I was working on a show called Outside the Lines, and I was trying to, you know, the, the title status at ESPN is you're trying to get the next step. So for the next step for me was to be producer one. That was the title. And so I was producing, line producing outside the lines and doing all of these uh, amazing opportunities to work with Bob Lee and doing all of these shows. And yet that's not what I was being paid for. And I was completely neglecting the job that I was being paid for, which was talent producer. So in trying to get this next job, they were giving me opportunities, but I was also neglecting the job that I was actually being paid to do now. Yeah. And when I went through that process and then I had my, my scathing mid-year review that I talk about in my <laughs> book, it was awful. Like they have at ESPN, you get like a mid-year review and you get a year-end review. And that's when they kind of tell you how you're doing and maybe give you a little, a little percentage raise or, you know, just kind of let you evaluate where you are. And that mid-year review is sort of to tell you, hey, here's the track you're headed towards, uh, you know, good job, or, you know, you need to get, get on your horse and, and start, you know, performing better. And I had the worst review I ever had. And I'm not going to name the name of the person. I know Darren would know who it is. I'm not going to name her on this because I want to be, I want to be respectful and careful, but it was the best thing that happened to me because it made me realize that I was not called to, to focus on what was next. That's not success for me. That was, that was where I was getting lost. I was trying to achieve the corporate ladder. It was about staying present where you are and being great in the moment. Certainly you can have goals and want to achieve and go to the next level, but really be great where you are. And for me, that greatness, I was, I was hurting my teammates mm. by trying to focus on the next job where my job was to be great in where I was being called to or bloom where you're planted as I use in the book. And, you know, I was affecting Jamil. I'm going to name some names that Darren will remember and Carol and Lisa and the people that I worked with in the talent production department, because they were expecting me and relying on me to do the job that I was called to do. And I was so focused on the next job that I lost it. And so it took a while. And that moment really was a pivotal moment for me to understand that it wasn't about me. It was about serving my team right there and being great for them, not just so I can climb the corporate ladder and try to get the next job. You know, the one thing I, that people re don't realize about ESPN is it's a machine, Oh my gosh. And, and you, you yeah. it's almost like a game time or game day is every day is a game day. And you have to be, especially as a producer, you have to be on top of your game because there's so many people that want your job mm -hmm. and you know it. Mm -hmm. And not, not only are you producing a show, but you're dealing with talent, people like myself who want to show up late, have my own attitude. I mean, you, you're quote unquote talent, right? Oh, yeah. Did you just call yourself talent? We are talent. That's what they call us. You walk the halls at ESPN, you, you are, you know, if you're an analyst, you're called yeah. the talent. That's so, right. I mean, there's just so much, it's just, it's a machine over there. And I can understand how you could get caught up in the day-to-day -day grind of what you're doing. And it'll take away from what you want to do faith-wise. Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah. and, you're, and you know what, I, I can remember this. I want to talk, tell this story. I, I remember being at ESPN, and again, it is 
those walls are built to do business and that's it. Put, produce content. That's it. Not faith driven. And I, I can remember it was on a Saturday and I was invited by Jay Harris, who we've had on the show. Yeah. Jay came to me one day and he says, Hey man, once you come to church, you're in town this weekend, come to church. Uh, Jason is going to be preaching. And I, I said, Jason Romano. He said, yes. And I said, Jason's pre, and he said, yeah, he's pre. And it was the first time of being at ESPN in like eight or nine years that I knew of there was an outside world to what we were doing out in those walls. It's like yeah. Jason's preaching down the street. And we, it was just always business, 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 business as usual. And, it, and I got out of that, that, that ESPN off the campus. And it was the first time I saw Bristol, actually. It was actually the first. And I went to church, had a great time. Jay, Jay was playing the bass. I think his son was doing, you know. I mean, it was a really great service, man. So, I mean, how many people have you had these conversations with uh, within the walls of ESPN? How many people did you, did you basically – Talk to about, you know, attending church and serving the Lord. Probably not as many as I, I would have liked looking back. Honestly, Darren, you know, I feel like Jay invited you and it should have been me that invited you, right? That's just kind of my, my mindset goes that way. But we had more conversations than, than I thought we would ever have. That didn't really take place to the last few years of my time at ESPN. In fact, I was telling you guys the story I wanted to share about Darren was the one he just shared. Uh, and that was 2016. That's why I remember it. And I was working on Mike and Mike in the morning. And Darren actually came the next morning, Monday morning, or the following Monday morning, to be on Mike and Mike that day. And I saw him. And he just kind of gave me a little fist pump and like, nice job last weekend. And that meant the world to me. Because um, it was something outside of ESPN. Now, let me tell you my, my little story here. My perspective is, and I didn't say this, I am the biggest Dallas Cowboys fan. You guys have met millions of them, and they're all over the world and all over Dallas. But I'm the biggest one. I mean, we all are, right? <laughs> and, and I grew up, I mean, 1979, Roger Staubach. I go back to being five years old and remembering number 12. That's how far back I go. So Darren is in my sweet spot of being a Cowboys fan in my you know, early 20s to basically, when did you finish? 2003, 2004? Right? Yeah, yeah. So I was just turning 30 at that time. And you know, the Cowboys players during those years, as everybody who was in Dallas or was a fan knows, they were on a different level. It was like you know, the Beatles winning three championships in four years. And so Darren comes to work at ESPN and I get to meet him and it's still, you know, he's a great dude and we're getting along and we have lots of conversations and I'm sure I was peppering him with questions about the Cowboys quite often. But that day when I was preaching in church and I'm standing there and I just started the sermon, Darren walks in and he checks out the service and I see him because you can see when you're standing up and preaching. Oh, no, no, way, no, be honest, be honest. It's completely dark in there. Darren smiles, no. and you just see that smile. <laughs> His teeth light up the room. <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with every day. Come on, man. I know. Like, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Woody. I'm sorry. No, I, he walks in, and it wasn't dark. That was why I noticed it. It wasn't dark, and I see Darren Woodson walk in, and I keep going. But inside, I'm, this is where your childhood kind of creeps back in. I'm, inside, I'm like, all right, there's Darren Woodson, the guy that I rooted for with Emmett and Michael and Troy, three-time Super Bowl champion of my favorite team, standing there or sitting there watching me give a word or, or share a sermon from the, from the Bible. And I was really nervous, Darren. I mean, really mm, nervous. Wow. And I knew you, and I'd known you for years. Right. 
but this was weird. It was church. It wasn't me and you producing something. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is like the conversations, but you sort of know, like, uh, look, you know, I, I, I'm of the word, like man. I, I'm like of the word, brother. So you sort of know when there's another brother that's next to you. You know, right? And I, I, I knew that, that part of, okay, yes. he, he's a believer. I know that part of it. Uh, and, and it's because of the way you handled yourself. But we never sat down and had right. that conversation. Nor had right. I had the conversation with Jay Harris because right. it's always so much. Everything is just work, 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 work driven produce, produce content, content that you don't have that time. And it's the first time you get out of that building and you see it and you go, okay, this is the product. This is the product. And this, and I wish we could have had these conversations within the building, man. And I turned around, I'm telling you, I walk into the church and there's so many people that I see on a daily, daily basis sitting down. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just so different. Well, I, I will yeah. say this too, uh, you know, at ESPN, my last three years, we, we, we created sort of what you would call a fellowship group, which was just maybe 15 of us who were producers behind the scenes, people who gather maybe every other week for a half hour and just talk and pray. So it became a little more um, intentional the last few years of my time at ESPN, but you know, for many, many years, and even in the time that you and I worked together, Darren, when I was working on NFL Live or any of the NFL shows or NFL Insiders or being in those nine o'clock meetings with, you know, Camby and Epi and those guys producing, like there were, you know, how do you bring up faith in those places? So it was all football all the time. And listen, I tell people, you know, I wasn't hired to be a uh, you know, a pastor or, you know, a, a Christian at ESPN. I was hired to be a producer and I needed to be the best producer I could be. But towards the end, I started seeing that there was purpose in going to work every day and that the best way that I could open up conversations about faith or even kind of what you just said about recognizing that maybe I was a man of faith is just how I carried myself, how I lived and how I was around you know, the people that I worked with at ESPN and how I was away from that. Am I the same guy or am I a different person? And so I recognized that how I carried myself would be the best witness of my faith than anything I could ever say. Love that. And let's take that on a broader scale too, just, and you know, your, your books, your books on leadership, but the best leaders, whether it's faith, whether it's in your job, whether it doesn't matter what it is, it's the people that are consistent, the people that, you know, practice what they preach and the people that use their actions louder than their words, right? And, and that's what I'm hearing you say is like, my testimony about my faith can be received much louder by the way I live day in and day out, how I treat people than me, you know, slapping a Bible on their forehead every day, telling them they're a sinner, right? And so, and again, right. everybody's, everybody's delivery, right, Every, is, is different, but that's what I'm hearing. And anybody that knows Jason can, can attest to that, right? Like there's just something when you're around someone, mm. it just, yeah. The, yeah. their faith just, just oozes out of them mm. and they don't even have to tell you, you just know it. And that's something that I would, I try to replicate my life is live in a way that draws people to Christ as opposed to, Hey, like he says that, but then he does that. And mm-hmm. like, because again, my, my college coaches, you know, your actions, speak so loudly i can't hear the words that you're saying right yeah. so it's, people aren't going to know aren't going to care about what you know until they know that you care that's, that's right what I say. Yeah. 
They're not going to care about what you know. You could know all of this stuff about the Bible or all about faith or whether it's even sports, right? I mean, you could know all of this, but they aren't going to know or care about what you know until they recognize that you care about them. And yeah. honestly, a place like ESPN, you, you knew the majority, not everyone, obviously, but the majority of people, I, I, it really was a family. And there was people who genuinely cared about other people mm-hmm. when you were around them, when you were working with them, because you're spending more time there than you are in many time, many ways with your family. Mm-hmm. And so you either got to get along or you got to get out and, uh, or just make people's lives miserable, which that didn't happen for me too often. But for the most part, it's about caring for one another. It's about, you know, the best leaders are the ones who serve yes. to me, the best leaders are servants. And that's the example of Jesus. And that's the example of many people that I worked with at ESPN who were servant leaders and made it about others and not just about themselves. So to, you mentioned family. Let's let's dig into that a little bit, you know. And when did you meet your wife? And and what was that like balancing a family? And I say balance, and I hate the word balance because I don't I don't think that balance exists. But um, talk about you know going through the dating phase, getting married, having kids, and then working at a company like ESPN, which is is a high demand. And it's not like hey, you know, I show up at I show up at nine o'clock and punch out at four thirty and I head home. What was that wow. like for you? I remember um, just recently we were celebrating what was it, 10 years of the decision, the, the LeBron James decision on ESPN. Yeah. And uh, that was the longest day I ever worked at ESPN. It was 17 hours. And it was just expected. You just did it because that was also the day Drew Brees came to ESPN and was promoting his book. And there's like seven hours of spending the day and taking Drew Brees around ESPN and then another seven or eight or nine hours working on LeBron James's decision show. So yeah, the poor, demands hey, of poor Drew Brees. Yeah, I'll tell you something. Drew Brees was coming off a Super Bowl that year, Super Bowl MVP, and it would have only been Drew Brees. If it was any other NFL player, they were getting pushed to the side that day. But because it was Drew, he made it on all the shows, Darren. He got to go through the car wash. (laughs) He did. He did. But any other person, because he did it early in the day, and if you remember the LeBron James decision was at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. So it was later. So we had Drew come during the day in the midday in the morning and the early afternoon. And then once he was gone, every other show was like, all right, we're focused now on LeBron's decision. So, but that just shows you the type of day that you can work at a place like ESPN and you're just expected to do it. Now, I never complained about that, but you recognize when you enter into a certain job or vocation, You know, I remember when I told my wife, uh, that girlfriend at the time, that this was sort of the business I was going into, um, you know, she was very open pretty early to telling me that she was all in. Like, if this takes us all around the country and everywhere and back, I'm in. And that was huge, or I probably wouldn't have married her, honestly, and she would have been miserable too. Um, Thankfully, it just went one She would have been miserable without you. (laughs) Without me, right, not with me. That's what I meant. Let me me word that a little bit better. But it was hard. I mean, initially, you know, it was just us. It was me and her. And, uh, you know, I think when it's just us, you can still work and kind of be focused on your job a lot and still be able to kind of pour into your marriage. But when you add children to the mix, that's where it becomes hard because there's priorities and there's obligations and there's just being present with your kids is so important. And for me, wanting the yearning to become a father for me was so strong because of the lack of having a father in my life. I think I heard you say that, Darren, on your episode about becoming a dad and how amazing that was for you because you didn't have a dad in your life right. and how exciting that was. That's how I felt when I became a dad to my daughter. And so it was really focused, focusing on being present for her 
And balancing that with ESPN was hard because I was trying to, like I said earlier, climb that corporate ladder and have those opportunities. And when that 2008, you know, moment for me when I had that bad mid-year review and it sort of opened my eyes to my true purpose, that was also a moment when I focused on the task at hand, but I also went to my boss at the time, uh, Carol, uh, you might remember Carol Mayer, yes. Darren, and yeah. Carol Veronica. I didn't, well, I didn't think you were going to bring your name up. I didn't think you were going to bring Carol's name up, but hey, go Carol, ahead. I'm okay. Carol's in the book, so I'm okay <laughs> with her name. It's it's the other person that I haven't talked to to get permission to share her name that I didn't want to do that. But Carol came to me, or I went to her, and I said, listen, my daughter is like five years old, and she's going to be going to kindergarten, and I need to bring her to school every day. Like, this is the smallest request that I was asking here. I said, can I switch my hours so I can bring her to school or pick her up from school, would that be okay? And she was awesome. Like she was a young uh, up and coming leader at ESPN in her late twenties, but she was like, yeah, whatever you need to do. And that was the first time where I felt like I could also be a father and have a family and, and focus on that and not be so obligated with having to be on all the time. Even when I leave ESPN, you feel like you got your phone with you and you're always answering email and texts she allowed me to kind of switch my hours so I could be with my daughter in that first year of her going to school. And that was huge for me. Right. And that showed me, Hey, you know what? Family work, they can all work together here, but family has to become becoming first for me. If work becomes first, uh, it's out of whack. I'll be wearing the uniform of leadership backwards. As I talk about mm-hmm. in my book, if I'm, if I'm focusing my, on my work first. Talk, so. talk to us about what's going on mentally, because I'm, and I know Tyler's going through that. I'm, I'm going through that phase right now. I've got a three-year-old son and, and a four-month-old son, five-month-old son as of the other day. And I'm young in my career and I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, make my name and, and really be successful. And, and you justify the hours with, well, everything I'm doing is providing for them. And so you, you have this, this mental battle of, well, I want to work really hard because A, personal pride, but B, I want to provide but I also want to be a good father and I want to be a good husband. There's just so much battle going on internally through that process. So for you personally, because I think anybody listening to this who's going through that right now, it would be helpful to know somebody who's gone through that. How did you, how did you do that? What, what were some tangible ways that you did? It sounds like you took your daughter to school. That's one thing. But what are other ways tangibly that you, that you unlike what Tyler likes to say, balance, how did you get it all done? It starts, I think, with communication with those who you work with and work for. Um, you know, I think for a few years there, I didn't really have great communication. I just assumed that they expected me to be at work all the time and, and to, you know, be as good as I could be as a producer or a talent producer or whatever the role, role I had. And so I just kind of went to work every day and grinded it out. But I didn't have many, communica- many times of communication with my, my bosses and my coworkers and after that moment, when I went to Carol and said, listen, I really want to be with my, I don't want to miss uh, an opportunity here because I was actually offered that opportunity that I told you about to become a producer one mm-hmm. and being trained to become a producer one and take that next step. And it was like a $25,000 mm-hmm. uh, pay increase. It was, you know, an, a status lifting opportunity for me and, you know, the next level at ESPN. And I remember finding out that if I took that job, it would be nights and weekends and working on when sports is on, which is nights and weekends. And I made a choice at that moment 
to say no to that. I said, I'm actually going to not go in that direction now. And they came to me and said, why? And I said, because I need to not miss the next seven years of my daughter's life. Wow. They said, well, I understand that. And I said, but you're not going to miss it. And I said, I don't know that you can actually guarantee that I'm not going to miss these next six or seven years, the pivotal time in a child's life when they're five to the age of maybe 12, 13 years old. You know, my daughter's 16 now, but those moments, those formative years, if I hadn't been able to come home at night, at least the majority of my nights and be able to be with her and pray with her and have dinner with her and tuck her in. Now, obviously there's days where I couldn't do that, but if I knew that in my mind, my priority was my family and I made that clear, uh, Ben, with my bosses and with my coworkers, then I knew that the expectations were, were there and it made it a lot I don't want to say easier, but it made it a lot um, clearer, I guess, with my with my cohorts that this is where my um, priorities lie. Now, I'm not saying other people at ESPN's priorities weren't with their family, but I will say just from watching and observing, many people missed out on opportunities to strengthen their family mm-hmm. by trying to gain what they were thinking was success at ESPN. And to me, it's, it's, is true success really getting that next job, but then losing everything else you have chasing that? I don't think it is. And I was scared of that. I really was. So there was a fear factor in me too, Ben, about trying to, you know, achieve and climb the next level in the corporate ladder. And if I did that in spite of my kid and me being able to form a relationship or you know, even ending up in a a divorce or something like that with my wife. You know, I watched both my parents go through multiple divorces. I watched my dad, you know, ruin relationships and have a broken relationship with his three sons. I wasn't going to do that just to get an extra 25 grand uh, or, you know, climb the corporate ladder. Now others are able to do that, but for me, it just wasn't going to flow. And I'll tell you something, when I made that decision, more doors opened up. They really did. I was just yeah. 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 That's why we're all scared to do it. I mean, most just of us scared. Yeah, yeah, we're all scared to do it. I'll, yeah. I'll throw myself out there. I've always been that guy who wanted to achieve greatness. I always wanted to go up that, that ladder. And in going through that, there's some things that you put at risk. Yeah. I mean, I went through a divorce because I put some, I put it at risk because I wanted more and more and more. And then I got to a point, there were times where I said, well, maybe I don't need to do that because this is going to affect my family life. Well, hell, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that is a balance, man. And that's humility. That, I mean, that is yeah. true humility when you can step back and say, am I, are we, is my, is my family really going to benefit if I take Twenty five thousand extra dollars. Well, the pool is so strong of what you're personally going for. Like yeah, me, yeah. myself, what do I want to accomplish? That's what pushes me in the direction of, yes. hey, I need to work these extra hours. I need. And again, you can justify by saying, well, I'm just providing for my family. But really, it's it, for me, it's rooted in selfishness. It's yeah. mm-hmm. how can I yeah. accomplish and, and and achieve for myself and what you did an awesome job of, it sounds like was you put yourself aside. You said it earlier, it's not about me. And you laid yourself down as Jesus did for us. You laid yourself down and you said, you know what? The best thing for everybody in my sphere is for me to pass up this opportunity. Yeah. Despite what I think 
is best for me. But it's funny because you just said it ended up being yeah. way better than what you could have imagined. That's right. Well, there's growing pains in the process too. I don't sure. want it to paint this amazing no, picture. No, that no, I just, you say I no, just said everything's not about me. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, man, yeah. there's struggle. There's a push-pull in that whole yeah. so Tell us about thing, that, that push-pull. Tell us, tell us about those days of struggle because it, it, nothing happens overnight. So what were those days like? Because where, uh, I'm sure there were times you were thinking, I probably didn't make the right decision here. Oh, yeah. Well, even at the moment where I was trying to, um, you know, figure out from being a talent producer, which was the job that I had during all of this to the next phase, I didn't know what was next. I really, you know, what it came down to, Ben, was being present in the moment. Mm. And, you know, if I'm oh, at work, I'm you're going speaking to, to me with that one. <laughs> I'm going to be at work. Right. So if it's, it's not that I'm not recognizing that there's a platform or that there's an opportunity to talk about life or family or all that. But I just recognized when I was at work to be present and be as be the best that I could be. And I failed at that a lot, but be the best that I could be when I was there. But then when I got home. And even though they started giving us these phones, these cell phones, even back in 2007 and eight, we had what they used to call trios and Blackberries and eventually iPhones. And I was reachable at all hours of the day. Uh, there were, you know, that was, I think, the biggest struggle. Now that I think about it, Ben, was if ESPN called you or emailed you when you, set, you saw it at seven o'clock at night and you're home with your family, could do you stop and do you answer that or do you just let it fester till the next morning? Mm -hmm. And there were moments where I would say to my wife, I got to go grab this. And I could just sense like, Oh, there was a heaviness. Like I just need you to be husband and dad right now, not to be ESPN guy. And I would struggle with that because I'd feel like I have to go answer this. And did I have to go answer it? Of course not. I could have waited till the next morning, but I just felt this right now. You are speaking to me right now. Felt the push pull, man. But I will say, you know, it, again, when I made sure that my, when I was living out the focus of my family first, 99% of the time, my bosses would never say, uh, I can't believe you put your family first here. What are you doing? Hmm. What's wrong with you? Answer your emails. Most, most, not all, but most of them would say, of course, take care of your family. We'll deal with this in the morning. And again, that's a struggle. That's scary. Humans, that's scary. That's scary. Yes, that's right. to take that first. You're like you're probably thinking right now, is my boss that way? Is he going <laughs> to let me <laughs> my family first? Well, there's a, and there's I actually a, had a boss at one time at ESPN. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tyler. Who, who actually called me out once because I said I'm going to take Labor Day off and I'm going to go spend time with my family, and they were like, No, you're supposed to be on and you're supposed to be, you know, available and getting ready to put all these things together. When I was working on the on the social media side of ESPN on the NFL and I had to stand up for myself. Maybe it was just cause I was, you know, 10, 12 years into my career there. But I said, ah, this is my family day. I promise you tomorrow morning, first thing I will get on this and I will take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for a young person who was in charge to accept because I also saw it from his point of view. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a wife yeah. or a kid and he was all work all the time. Yeah. And I used to tell young people, I said, listen, don't make your work the only thing that you think about. Don't let the friends that you have in your life only be friends from work yeah. because it will be all that you consume and talk about and are thinking about all the time. You know, yeah. give, us, give us the mindset. Let's go back on this as far as the producer. Give us the mindset of a producer knowing that uh, you, you just wrapped up a show on Monday. Now you have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're going home. You're driving home. Is there anxiety because you know that 
you have to do this all over again. You have to produce another show, bring up all this content, work with it all over. Is there any, like when you go to sleep, are you thinking about the show? Yes. Early on, I'll tell you that much, especially my first, I would say first half of my career at ESPN uh, when I was working on outside the lines and I know you've been on that show, Darren, and you yeah. know, Bob Lee is like the, he's a legend, right? And Bob is one of the great people that I got to work with. He, he has an entire chapter in my book because he taught me so much about leadership uh, being at ESPN, but that show was a daily show heavily reliant on guests. And that was the show that I was working on producing and booking for. And every single day, the show you get to three o'clock and it would be over and you'd be like, all right, and then you get an email. Okay, so what are we doing tomorrow? And it's like, oh, I got to go home now and try to be with my family. But I also have to think about all the guests and the topics and the, and the people that we're going to be talking to. It's hard to turn that off. It's uh, really yeah. hard to turn that off. And they also had a Sunday morning show on Outside the Line. So you weren't done just because you got to Saturday morning because right. there was a Sunday morning show. And so the mindset, and I think a lot of producers are like this, um, and maybe to a fault, it's it's a lot of what we're thinking about mm. constantly ideas. And even to, even now with the work I do now with sports spectrum, it's easy to, for me to get caught up in thinking about the next guest I'm going to have on, or who's the next person I should talk to, or who's, what's the next show that we're going to produce, or when's it going to come out? I mean, I'm thinking about this stuff a lot, even when I close the laptop and, you know, try to be present with my family. So it's a, it's that, it's a tension, man. It's a push pull. Yeah, I want to I want to start really quick on on your ability to say no. And and there's a book called Essentialism. I don't know if you've read Essentialism, but early on in that book, it, it identified with me because I am very much and I think Darren Darren is very much like this too is we want to tell people yes all the time. Right. Like we want to always be available, we always want to help, we always want to do that. But the thing is, is, is we're so afraid And this. I'm going to speak personally for myself, not for Darren, but I'm so afraid of disappointing someone in the moment that I say yes and ultimately disappoint someone in the long run because I say yes so much to so many things that I can't actually go and do it. And it's, it's, it's a mental shift. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, when you're in a sermon and you're like, pastor's only oh, speaking yeah. to me, right? Like I'm reading this, this book, book I'm was going, written, this, for, it was me written for me. But uh, the thing is, is when you have the ability, when you can say no to something, maybe there's a, a short term of disappointment for someone, but it is much a longer term respect that people have for you. Like you said, I said no, because my family comes first. My cohorts at ESPN, they respected me much more than if I would have sacrificed the time with my family for work to finish that one small job that really didn't mean anything or take that call at dinner time with my family, whatever that is. And that's a shift that I am consciously having to work on all the time is to be able to say no and really yeah. focus on what is important because ultimately I'm not going to be able to serve my family. I'm not going to be able to serve. And then I'm not doing the job that I need to do anywhere. And you feel like, I'm just failing everyone because you say I yes. I was scared to death, Tyler, scared yeah. to death to say no. Like yeah. it took me 10 years to be able to stand up and say, I need to prioritize my kid, you mm -hmm. know, and she was five in 20, 20, 2008, 2009. She was four or five years old. And that was nine years into my career at ESPN before I told them no. Yeah. <laughs> and I even cringe saying it now and I don't work there anymore that yeah. it was hard to say that. And I, it wasn't just a hard no, like there's a, there's a, a humble, uh, graceful way to say that, Hey, my family's really my priority. Would it be any issue if I just took care of that 
and didn't respond until tomorrow morning. If you need to reach me and it's truly an emergency, just text me and I'll, you know, it's, there's a way to go about talking and having that conversation and just walk in and say, listen, sorry, it ain't happening. That's sorry. Right. No, the answer is no. And you're, you're immediately, um, I talk about being a thermostat versus being a thermometer oh. and the thermostat is setting the temperature in the room when you walk in. And if you go in there like that, your thermostat's going to go up in the air and you're going to be really hot and uncomfortable. And you have the ability as a leader, as a, as a person uh, in your business or wherever you are to set the thermostat and not just be the thermometer where you react to what the room is, but you'll be a thermostat and you control mm what the room temperature is and that's a way to do it i think it's the best way to do it because yeah. uh saying no is not easy that's all no. i'm saying no. okay so you said no and you said there was other opportunities that presented themselves talk us through those so in 2012 this opportunity to become a part of this new world called social media espn took place and suddenly i found myself with that raise and with that sort of status upgrade without even searching for it to go and kind of head up and lead the social media department at ESPN as far as the NFL. So, you know, when you look at the NFL social media now, in 2012, it didn't exist. And I was the one that kind of started that back up and, or started it up, not back up, but it didn't exist. So I was creating an opportunities to do social media content was there. And that's where I saw doors continue to open. And I wasn't really even searching or seeking those doors. And by the way, working on social media allowed me to know that I was, I had to work Sundays, I had to work Monday nights, and I had to work Thursday nights, but it allowed me to craft my schedule around being able to be present with my family and still be all in on this very new world. And I'm sure Darren remembers that time, yeah. that new world at ESPN when suddenly you're being asked to do a 20 minute or 20 second Twitter post or something and you're like what that wasn't in the contract but the social media world was becoming a really big thing and we were part of growing that and then even my last year at ESPN when I was trying to figure out if I was really going to leave or not and I was kind of going through that push pull as well an opportunity to go back and work on Mike and Mike happened and it's the greatest year of my life at ESPN was my final year there working on a show with those two guys who are just the best around oh. they're pioneers they're legends yeah. mm. and they create and darren knows this a family atmosphere within their unit with their producers and their uh you know people like hembo and people like ray and all these guys that were a part of the family and suddenly i felt a part of a family again mm. in that last year of espn uh and then an amazing opportunity happened you know to leave and so all the doors happened when i really started having my priorities and in the so, right order. So, so go through that, man. I, I yeah. think I need to hear, because I ended up leaving the ESPN a couple of years ago. So, and that was a tough decision. I mean, I, I oh, yeah. it was, I went through this decision for like a year and a half of saying, mm -hmm. uh, I need Same. to go. I need, I'm, I need yep. to walk away. I'm so tired of dealing with this. I, you know, Jason Romano sending me these emails <laughs> at night and he wants a response. <laughs> and I get this guy out of here. No. Man, man, I'm so tired of it. So, uh, talk, t tell me how that went, that process went with you. You said that it took a long time for you to finally make that decision. It took me two years. It took me from 2015. Uh, I was at this conference that had nothing to do with ESPN. I was invited to speak at it. And I don't, at that time, I hadn't done any speaking. Now I've done a little bit more, but at that time I hadn't done any, but it was a social media conference with a bunch of people who were doing the same job I was doing, but for churches, for nonprofits, for very large faith-based organizations. And suddenly I'm the only 
uh, person who works at, I guess, a secular, secular yeah. company mm -hmm. that was at this place. And I just saw what they were doing. And inside myself, I'm like, is this, you know, maybe God, is this where you want me to, to go here to do what I would call more purposeful work? Mm -hmm. Not that you can't do purposeful work at ESPN. Uh, and that's really where the seed was planted. And, you know, it took me a, a year and a half until I finally saw the door open up that maybe I was hoping God would open up to take a step and leave ESPN. But you talked about hard, Darren, for you. I remember the first time I went to my wife and I said, honey, I'm thinking about this opportunity that might come about, hadn't even come about yet, to leave ESPN, to maybe go work with this, you know, sports ministry organization. Um, what do you think? And she just looked at me like I had you know, six eyes and said, <laughs> we're in Bristol, Connecticut for a reason here. You're here because of ESPN. Why in the world would you want to leave? And, you know, initially that, you know, it was my wife's way of saying, God's not saying it's time to go yet. Mm -hmm. And that's rec what I recognized from her is she was right. It wasn't time. Uh, but it's in the back of my mind, like probably for you, Darren, it still was there. Mm -hmm. is this, is this something I really want to do the rest of my life? That was where I was. I was 42 and I was thinking I'm sort of in the mid, mid part of my journey of life, mid part of my journey, maybe in work. Do I want to be here forever or does God want me to be here forever is a better way to ask the question. And if he doesn't, I need to be open for that because I think a lot of people get caught up in comfort and I think comfort can be you know, it's a, it's a comfortable thing, but it can be the enemy to opportunity. Mike and Mike, the last year of ESPN, working on that show was the best year of my life. And as far as my career and as far as experience at ESPN, that was it. You know, I was a part of a family. I was working on a show that everybody listened to. Uh, Mike and Mike are just the best. They're such pros at what they do, but they're also very inclusive in making the show feel like a family. So I had a blast on that show, but I still had this sort of, I don't know what you call it, uh, you know, a spirit inside of me speaking to me saying, you know, remember, I think it's not about you here. You still got to look for this, this door to leave might still be clearly there. And, you know, I was 42, uh, middle of my journey, middle of my, uh, you know, sort of life, if you will, depending on how long I get to live. And so if I'm ever going to make a, a leap, this is the time to do it. And this opportunity came to leave and go work for Sports Spectrum. And it didn't make sense from a worldly perspective because, especially if you look at it from a sports world perspective, take a 40% pay cut, wow. you know, no benefits, uh, a contract job, and really kind of a temporary type of job to leave everything that you have built for 17 years at ESPN and go to this. I only had one person ironically say to me, this doesn't make sense. Everybody else kind of saw because of my faith that this was something that maybe I was going towards and, and saying yes to, to leave. But I just knew inside myself, I had this peace, even though it didn't make sense, even though my wife certainly looked at it and said, are you sure 40% pay cut here? This isn't, exactly, <laughs> this isn't exactly what we signed up for here. But I just had a peace and I told her, I said, listen, don't trust me on this. Trust God. If, if God if this isn't ordained by God, the door will shut very quick and I'll probably end up crawling, kicking and screaming, going back to ESPN, please, saying, please let me have my job back. Mm -hmm. But if it is from God, the door will swing open and it'll be clearly from him and opportunities will come that we don't even see right now. 
And thankfully it was, it's, it's always better when you look back, you can say, okay, that was from God. That wasn't me because opportunities to speak, to share, to write books and to host a podcast with, you know, a listenership that continues to grow and grow and doing something that really I find I'm, I'm like right in the middle of my passion, my sweet spot of, of life right now is, is clearly only from God, because if it was from me, I probably would have just stayed comfortable and stayed at ESPN. And this, this, this transition wasn't easy now. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, it'd be like you, Darren, saying, I'm, I'm good with the NFL. I'm going to go to the AFL or right. the Arena League. Like, if you didn't have that clarity of, of, you know, you said your faith drove that decision, somebody outside looking in, in the moment's probably thinking, why would you leave the Super Bowl of media, sports media, to go to a lower level? Again, it's right. like Darren leaving the NFL for the CFL. It just doesn't make any sense. But yeah. it made one person who came to me said to me, you know, who had like a little reservation, he's like, you're basically leaving the Cowboys because, you know, I was a Cowboys fan right. and you're going to an expansion team voluntarily and taking 40 percent less, knowing that you're not going to have any guarantee of success or anything. Are you mm-hmm. sure you want to do this? And I'm, I said, listen, I, I'm, it's not that I'm sure. I said, I'm sure that God is sure that I'm sure that I have to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where it, it, it just kept, I kept taking myself out of the equation here and saying, if this is me, A, I probably would never have left, but B, it'll fall flat on my face. I said, so I had to trust that there was something greater, or bigger, or purposeful happening. And I sensed it early on, but it wasn't probably till about six months in where we had a couple of interviews that we did that... Um, you know, got a couple of hits even on ESPN, which was kind of funny that they were, you know, quoting and attributing something that somebody said to our show. Uh, but just the joy that I had, you know, people talk about happiness and joy. I was very happy at ESPN, ESPN, but I've never had more joy in my life than the time I've worked in the last three years with where I am now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's take it back. We've talked about Sports Spectrum. Give us give the listeners a little background on Sports Spectrum, where it started, um, what PAO is, Professional Athletes Outreach, kind of how that went about, but then how you and Steve Stenstrom, how you guys connected, and how you came to actually know what this platform, this ministry is that now you're doing, and then what the goal of Sports Spectrum is in, in utilizing platforms of these mega athletes, and we'll talk about you know the the guys that you have on there. Yeah, so Sports Spectrum has actually been around for 35 years, and I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that because many people think that it was sort of birthed when I left ESPN, and they say, oh, Jason Romano started Sports Spectrum. That's actually not true at all. Uh, It's been around for a long time as a ministry, and Pro Athletes Outreach has been a ministry for professional athletes for 50 years. And so those two worlds, though, I didn't really know a whole lot about. I did know about Sports Spectrum because I had some friends that uh, connected me to one of the writers for the magazine that they have. And I said, oh, this is cool. It's sports and it's faith. There's really nothing like this out there to give players a platform to talk about their faith. That doesn't exist. And even I would argue today, it still doesn't exist except for what we do. It's very taboo for a lot of people to um, open up the faith world, uh, the faith can of worms, as I'll say, and start talking about that because that can rub a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, but for us, this is what Sports Spectrum is now. It's this opportunity to share stories. Uh, I talked to athletes. Tyler was on the show. Darren, hopefully you'll come on too. And, and just opportunities to talk to athletes about the most important thing in their life that they don't get to talk about anywhere else unless they work it in themselves. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a responsibility that I take very seriously because 
these guys are more than athletes. You know, we hear that a lot, more than an athlete. LeBron talks about that a lot in his posts. I am more than an athlete. But for the men of faith and women of faith, they're way more than an athlete. They're, you know, a follower of Christ first, and then everything else falls under that. And they don't get to talk about that very first thing that they put into their lives. So I think for us, for me, this was an amazing opportunity and, uh, you know, to sort of go into a world where my two passions existed, which were my faith and certainly in sports and kind of intersect those two worlds. It really felt like a dream. It's weird to say this because you'd think ESPN was like this, but it was like a dream come true for me. Mm-hmm. And to put those two worlds together and to be able to do a show, to host a show. Remember, I haven't hosted anything in 20 years since college. Uh, but my, ho- my, my boss, Steve Stenstrom, you mentioned him, Tyler, knew that I worked with the best hosts in the business. You know, Chris Berman and Mike, uh, you know, Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick and Stuart Scott and Jay Harris. He talked about Jay and and Bob Lee. Like, these are the best of the best. Kevin Nagandi, they are the cream of the crop. And for me to be to be around those guys and learn from them allowed me to know how to at least do an interview. Whether I could actually make that sound good on a show is a whole other story. But I knew how to ask questions and interview people properly. And, you know, that kind of carried over and allowed me to kind of run this, run this little world that we're working on now in sports spectrum. Talk about working at ESPN, right? And you're seeing some of the big name guys you're talking about a lot of the big name guys, but you're on the the production side of it. Um, Yeah. You've got, you know, the, the Darren Woodson's you've got, um, you know, some big names on set, but now you have access to some of the biggest names in sports and to be able to give them a platform to talk about their faith openly and unashamed. And I mean, I'm looking through the list right now, of just the most recent, and this is, and this launched in late 2017. Is that that's correct? correct right? Yeah. Yep. Late 2017. But I mean, we're talking Tony Dungy. We're talking about Debo Sweeney. We're talking uh, Emmanuel right, right. Acho. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mark Schlereth. We're talking uh, Curtis Martin. I mean, these are the recent ones. I mean, in, in the Tyler last months. Well, I mean, I was going to say the best, the best for last. <laughs> Who was that? But I mean, but now this high school hall of fame. Yeah, that's right. But now you are having these intimate conversations where they're sharing yeah. their testimony. Some of their most vulnerable times. Like, talk about what that has been like. I love it because uh, it's funny. At first, I didn't know there were there were guys. I've actually had people say no because they just weren't comfortable talking about that because they've never really either talked about it publicly or. Unfortunately, some guys have said they're worried about their brand being impacted Mm. by opening up about their faith. And so, uh, you know, that's their right to say that. And I will never judge that. Um, But I always say, listen, we have this platform if you want to talk about it. But the more we when we had Matt Forte on early on, I remember him and uh, James Brown, JB from CBS Sports. When we had those guys on and Benjamin Watson, too, and I would ask them about their faith and they would light up Mm -hmm. like I could talk all day about my faith. Let's go. And then when I'd ask him about football, it was like, all right, I've been asked this question a million times. <laughs> yeah, and then and they I'll turn it into it. a locker room answer. Yeah, yeah and, I, and they'll answer the question because they're being courteous to me. And I'm still a sports fan, so I want to ask, you know, Darren Woodson about what it was like to be on three Super Bowl teams as a Cowboys fan. But what really gets them going and where the light shines brightest for them when our conversations take place is when I say, tell me about your walk with the Lord. Tell me about where that started. Tell me about your struggles, your hurts, your, your walk, you know, your, your uh, battles that you, you went through. And that's when it gets real. And I think all of us on some level crave the opportunity to be as real and raw as we can. We just feel like 
I don't know if it's, if it's the world looking at us or if it's, we might be judged a certain way, but we, we crave to be open and vulnerable, but a lot of us don't always want to go there. And, you know, I'm not trying to be any kind of psychiatrist or therapist on the show, but I do ask questions where sometimes it opens people's emotions up, you know, and they start talking about things that maybe they hadn't thought about talking about before. And I've had guys tell me it challenges them to, now that they've put this out there publicly, well, it, it kind of has to keep them accountable. So if they talk about their faith and you call yourself a Christian, you say that you're a God-fearing man, well, when I hang up the phone with Jason or any other show that I might do, now they're all, they've heard this interview, some people, and they, there's accountability there. Mm-hmm. So it's quite the responsibility, but I, I, I am so honored that God chose me to be able to do this because unfortunately there's nobody else doing anything like oh, yeah. this. I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, so we have a really unique opportunity to, in a niche market, as I like to say, because faith isn't for everybody, but it's for a lot of people and we have a place where they can share it. Well, and I'll say this too, for the, you know, those people that choose not to, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to listen to a Christian podcast. Here's the thing though, about this is there's things that I've learned about teammates from this podcast that I spent two, three years in a locker room with these guys that I found out on this. So if you're looking for an inside under the hood, like look at some of your favorite athletes, this is an unbelievable place to just hear guys' stories and for them to be transparent, like, and not have that gladiator armor on, right? That you see on Sundays and give these, you know, typical media answers that their head coaches prep them on or the PR departments prep them on, what they can't answer, what they can't answer. It is a raw, real transparency. That's what we're trying to do here with our guests when all of our guests is, okay, hey, look, be you. Tell whatever story you want to tell. And this is, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's, you yeah. just had him on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really so cool because if you really want to get to know these athletes, other than what you see on SportsCenter or their press conference or what you see on the field on Sundays or whatever sport there is, by the way, it's not just football. I know we're football focused, mm-hmm. but football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and soccer, and, and, and even other sports. This is an opportunity to really get to know what drives these men and women and why they have a purpose bigger than themselves. And it's just such a cool platform. And I'm and their struggles too. Yeah, that's right. It it paints that, hey, I'm talking to Tyler Klutz or Darren Woodson, and they're not perfect, even though they're guys that I rooted for and looked up to. They have the same struggles and hurts and and you know issues that all of us have. And so it allows there to be a human element too, which is so important, I think. Um, and I think because we place athletes on such a pedestal as fans, which I certainly did for many years, and you get to know these guys and see and girls too, and see that they're struggling with the same issues that I'm struggling with. And that opens up a dialogue and allows people to really enter into a place to understand and relate. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen, uh, I listen, I was looking at the website and I saw Daryl Strawberry yeah. on the site and it's my hero yeah and, and I, you know what i started to think i you know you've interviewed so many people so many great athletes is there one in particular to the interview that really touched you and you really felt there was there was something there that uh that was inspirational well that was the, you just picked out i mean randomly picked out daryl strawberry but that's you know the strawberry story for me goes back to being a, a 10 year old kid and my heroes were tony dorsett Danny White. So I'm mm. pre pre Aikman days when I was a 12 year old. Danny White was the guy, right in the in the mid to early 80, early to mid 80s. But Daryl Strawberry was the third guy. And so I was a huge Mets fan, a huge Cowboys fan. And so if you told me that I would be friends with my sports hero as a kid, Daryl Strawberry, when I was you know 
into my mid thirties and that he would have his name on my book as writing the forward to my first book. Yeah. He endorsed my second book. That's just all God, because I can't make that happen on my own. No way. Right. And I interviewed Daryl and I've never been more nervous about an interview in my entire life because that's the guy. And I wanted to ask him all sorts of questions about the 1986 Mets because I'm a sports fan. But I got to talk to him about faith, about addiction, about forgiveness, about brokenness, about the fact that he didn't have a dad in his life and the fact that he screwed up so many times trying to be a dad to his kids and struggled with, you know, all of these things. He was in jail, all of these really low moments in his life. And God brought him out of it. And he talked about how now he's been sober for 12 years and he's doing ministry. That's all he does is go around and speaks uh, to churches, to prisons, to men's groups, and just tells them about what God has done in his life. Like, it's just amazing to watch. But for me, that was, that was probably the most nervous, but also the most inspirational for me because we barely talked about baseball. And I could have talked baseball all day with him just from a fan perspective. And it was still the best interview that I felt like I've ever done because it was so impactful to me to talk to my childhood hero and not have to talk about the things that made him my childhood hero, if that makes That's sense. Awesome. Jason, as we start to wrap up here, I want you to talk about your book and the decision yeah. to, to, to write a book and to get this out there um, and, and what that process was like for you. And then also, you know, maybe just an opportunity to say, okay, hey, here's how that this can add value to anyone. And, and this, is, this is, was the purpose behind it. Yeah. So the idea for the uniform of leadership is, I'll just give you in a nutshell what it is. It's a, a sort of metaphor of the uniform that we put on every day. Uh, each day we wake up, we put on a uniform, you know, and a, a sort of traditional uniform has a name of a team on the front and a name and a number and a name of the person on the back. And often when we wake up each day, we have a choice to see how are we going to wear our uniform? Are we going to play for others first? our team first, for God first, or are we going to play for the name on the back first instead? And I learned so many lessons from so many people at ESPN of how to wear the uniform properly and make others better, to be a great leader by making it about serving others. But I also wore that uniform backwards for many, many years. And so the book is really an encouragement of wearing the uniform properly. Why serving others is true success and just taking the stories Darren I'm sure you could ask this a million times too what was it like to work at ESPN give me all the stories of the different people that you interacted with and so for me those stories are what this book is about but it's really a in the greater purpose a leadership book to help others in their walk be better leaders by serving others but there's tons of ESPN stories in there um, the, the time I met Emmett for the first time Emmett Smith and I basically hyperventilated and thought I wasn't going to be able to continue to live <laughs> I mean that story's in there but that doesn't happen be if Trey Wingo doesn't introduce me to Emmett and Trey goes out of his way to take care of this this knucklehead kid who loves the Cowboys and gives me five minutes to spend with one of my heroes that's Trey Wingo being a servant leader. Right. And so it's stories like that that are in this book to encourage others. So that's awesome. That's that awesome. Is. Okay. So give us, give us a couple of resources for people, social media, website, uh, you know, podcast platforms, and then also how they can find your book. Yeah. So it's just, my website is my name, which is still weird to say, but jasonromano.com. If you go to the website, it has all the information about speaking, about the book, um, some videos on there. The podcast is everywhere podcasts are found, kind of like your guy's show, um, which I do subscribe to your show, by the way. There we go. Jason. Jason. That's what we're talking about. So, 
So come on, people, go subscribe to the show, the Darren Woodson Show. But it's uh, it's it's all the platforms. It's Apple, it's Spotify, uh, and then SportsSpectrum.com is that website you guys were referring to, where it has all the different articles and the podcast. A lot of really cool models. articles, and some of the athletes actually write their articles. Like, and yes. and, that, and I've and I've yep. contributed to a couple of these, and it's really really cool. Very like uh, topic focused on something that hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Really cool. But yeah, yeah. sportspectrum.com. And again, you can pick between different different sports: football, basketball, baseball, hockey, um, soccer, and uh, man, it's really cool. And then last thing, talk about football Sunday. Um, you know, yeah. tell, and I know that that you you have you have a part of that, but it. it it carries on to what the sports spectrum podcast does and then what the meaning behind or what you guys were, were doing with football Sunday, you know, every year on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. My bosses will love that you asked this question. Yeah. Um, this is uh, a project that started about four years ago before I left ESPN. And I was actually asked to just give my input on it when I was still working there. But the idea is to take advantage of Super Bowl Sunday, the biggest football day of the year and leverage it for the gospel, right? And how can we use football as a way to point people back to who God is, who Jesus is? And so we created this brand that's sort of a sermon supplement that can be uh, run at your church on a Sunday morning. And it's 25 to 30 minutes. It's a video with these first person stories from pro football players telling in a four to five minute time frame how God has moved profoundly in their lives. And we've had amazing stories. Last year, I think we had Nate Solder from the New York Giants shared his story. Benjamin Watson and Kirsten, his wife, shared their story. And uh, Demario Davis from the Saints has been on and shared his story as well. And, you know, people like Tony Dungy and James Brown and Brock Heward have hosted it. And it's a really cool presentation that churches can use, even small groups can use, as a way to kind of bring the gospel and leverage Super Bowl Sunday to, you know, kind of share faith and kind of share these inspirational stories and sports spectrum is a big part of that. And so it's a really neat thing that we do. That's one of my most exciting things that we do as a ministry, as a, as a brand for sports spectrum is football Sunday, because the impact it can have and reach so many people on Sunday mornings who are going to church, but not maybe thinking about football. Well, now you can take on Super Bowl Sunday football and have this be a purposeful event to reach people for the Lord. So it's pretty cool. Plus it gives a pastor a day off that he doesn't have to. <laughs> That's big too. That's right. Well, if, if you need a sign that the Lord is real, Darren just figured out, we, we just did, we just subscribed to Sports Spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> and Darren figured out how to do it on his own. So the, the boy, Darren, I'm proud of you, buddy. Well. Listen, it took Darren a while for me to just get him on Twitter. <laughs> that was a long time coming, remember? Yeah, we, yes, <laughs> we got to walk this old man through it all the time. Well, hey, we got Jay, him on. <laughs> the, the question that we like to end every episode with, with all our guests, is this. And if you've listened, you've already got a head start because yeah, you know what he's going to ask. <laughs> I do. If you can go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? I think I go to 17-year-old Jason graduating high school and so focused on sports and going to college and trying to get a job in broadcasting. And I tell Jason, who's 17, A, it's not about you, and B, sports, don't ever let sports become your God. Mm. That's what I would tell myself, because I, I don't even think at that point I had any idea of faith, you know, about faith or God or Jesus or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't care, but 17-year-old Jason loved sports, and it consumed me. It was my identity. It was all that I cared about, and it became my God. And I would go back and say, 
man, just, just don't put all your eggs in sports. Although sports has presented an amazing amount of blessings in my life, uh, making it your God is only going to end up, you know, just, you're going to end up in a, in a, basically a car accident every single day right. and you're going to feel like crap. And, uh, so that's what I would go back and tell myself. That's awesome. Good. That's well, good. Jason, thank you so much for coming on. There's some yeah. awesome stuff. Make sure to go check out sportspectrum.com. Look at the podcast, scroll through, find your favorite athlete, hear their story, subscribe to their podcast. Honestly, it's incredible. Um, and then also uh, the Uniform of Leadership. Make sure to uh, get, go ahead and get his book uh, because it is, I have not read it yet because I just got it last week. Haven't gotten through it. I got like five of them on my nightstand that I got to get through, but this is uh, but, but coming from uh, knowing Jason and you know, this is going to be an incredible deal. And some of your favorite athletes of all time um, have written the forward and it's man, it's, it's awesome. So uniform of leadership, Jason Romano, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, Jason, hey, we appreciate it, man. Thank you, Jason. Keep using the podcast. Guys, it's, it's an honor. Thank you so much for allowing me to, to share on your show. This is awesome. And keep up the good work. All right. Hey, hey, and I can get an invite every once. So can I get an invite to the show, man? I can, you know, I'm begging, I'm begging in front of everybody. All I'm saying, Darren, is if you pull my name up on your phone, let me, let me see how many times you've seen a text to me and not responded. I'm just saying. That's you It's coming your way right now, Maybe Jason. you changed your number. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's all. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, brother. Thanks, guys.